some of you know, my family and I moved here about a year ago to Peoria. Some of you don't, so I'm telling you that now. We moved here a year ago in August to be a part of the um, church plant that is Ben and Tina's church plant and the team that came over first. We were second waivers. And we've spent a lot of the last 12 months getting to know some of the fun and unique things about Peoria because it's new to us. It might be old to you. So we've been to Emo's. How many been to Emo's? Uh, we've been to Wildlife Prairie Park. Wildlife Prairie Park. We watched the uh, fireworks down at the riverfront that they shot off from barges. Okay, we got thumbs up on that. That was an amazing time. The last Saturday was our opportunity to get to know one more of your wonderful features, and that is something called Trefsker's Bakery. Ooh, collective gasp. <laughs> if you don't know the background about Trefsker's, um, Simon Trefsker was a man who lived in Germany and moved to Peoria in 1861, and he opened the very first bakery downtown. And then that location changed a couple of times over the years, but that bakery has remained in the same family for four generations a total of 132 years. That is an awful lot of donuts and cookies and pies and cakes and an awful lot of getting up really early in the morning to make the cookies and the donuts and the pies and the cakes for 132 years. In fact, um, if we would consider, we'll give the Trefskers two weeks off a year, so 50 work weeks a year, the bakery's open five days a week, um, some of you have already done that math. Other of you are still tracking behind me. Um, we would have about 33,000 mornings over 132 years that someone in the Trefsker family had to make their way early in the morning down to the bakery and make the donuts, so to speak, and open the bakery. So that dedicated family did that for 132 years. That's a real accomplishment, quite a journey of faithfulness and dedication to what it is they do best, which is make good stuff to eat. And each of us has a journey as well. Um, we have a journey of following Jesus. And I want to share with you this morning about the vital role that worship and living a lifestyle of worship can play in a successful walk, a successful journey following Jesus. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love and your faithfulness to each of us. I ask that you'd please be with me this morning, be with all those who are working with kids um, and in nursery and kids' church and here in the auditorium, we welcome you. Please come and take what is your rightful place and help us to hear what it is you're saying this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, like the zoom lens on a camera, we've looked at the topic of worship from both the wide angle view and then a tight close-up shot. So in April, we zoomed out to get the 10,000-foot view of what worship is as Jeff walked us through God's big story from Genesis to Revelation. And that view revealed that worship is an outward expression of surrender to God, and it's God and him alone that we are to worship. And the next, we looked at how we're all wired for worship, and everybody worships something or someone. Um, some people worship, like, Oklahoma Sooners or something like that. Um, on occasion, but but Jeff challenged us to be wary of those other objects of our worship, and those things are people that we might tend to value more than we value God. For our next big picture view, Ben showed us how to recognize those false idols, and he showed us how to become free from that idolatry through prayer, through confession, and through submission to God. So having seen that big picture view and what of, of what worship is and what it shouldn't be, 
Then last weekend, Jeff zoomed us in to some of the distinctives and details of worship in the vineyard. And Jeff illustrated that song is Take You Places. Um, and we got to experience that as he played some song clips and we all went different places with him as we listened to those songs. And that, um, he talked about worship being also songs about God and then songs to him. And we like to, um, choose those songs that sing directly to God in vineyard worship. So we had some practical tips on how to engage more fully with God. And if you weren't able to be here, I encourage you to get the podcast and listen because it's been great. And Ben and Jeff are, are wonderful minds to get to know and have some great insights. I mean, it's been fun listening for me. And this week, we're not going to really zoom out, but then we're not really going to zoom in either. We're going to kind of tie big picture concepts together and tie those practical details together. And then we're going to look at what the journey of a worship of looks like over a lifetime. So one goal for me today is to help us all build a bridge from what we know to what we do through a challenge of worship that I'll be issuing later. Two weeks ago, Ben shared a definition of worship from Romans 12.1. So if you have your Bible, if you have your Bible app, let's turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there are some up here at the front that you're free to use and take home with you if you'd like. So Romans 12.1 in the New Living Version. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. The Apostle Paul states here in the book of Romans that giving ourselves to God out of gratitude for all he has done for us is truly the way to worship him. Now, one of the most challenging things about a journey, at least for me, is doing the same things over and over and over again, day after day after day. I'm kind of more your startup person. Get me in here. you got a problem. I'm going to solve your problem, help you fix it, move you on and say goodbye. See you later. So a challenge for me is that routine, day in and day out. My husband, on the other hand, Jim, is very good at the routine, day in and day out. So we can learn some things from people who are good at that sort of thing. Um, our days can look like, you know, we get up, we might exercise, possibly we shower, we go to work, we come home, we might eat, we clean things up, we walk the dog, and then we go to bed and start all over again. Whereas our culture encourages us to look for fireworks, like that home run, the, the lottery win, the big prize. And yet the dailiness of life is where we are most of the time, day after day after day. So let's read that same passage, 12.1, Romans 12.1 from the message version. It makes it a little more concrete. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. So that verse sounds a lot like our lives, doesn't it? Those are things we all do. How many here slept last night? Okay, good. All right, I'm worried about a few of you. How many ate today? Okay, good. We got this down. We can do this worship thing. So each day we can begin with that confession of surrender, of worship to God. Jesus, I just give my everyday Um, ordinary life, my sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life, and I place it before you as an offering. We can do that. That's a practical, everyday expression of what worship is. 
But if this is so easy, why is it so challenging to walk it out? I think for me, it is that journey piece. And like the Trefskers, I need to show up day after day after day to walk it out. And I know enough about myself to realize that just because I know what to do doesn't always mean that I'll do it. So I need a bigger, better motivation or reason to do what I should do sometimes. Obedience is a good reason. Um, just obeying God and doing what he's asked us to do to come and worship him. But for me, like, how about for you? How many people know what kind of food you're supposed to eat? I know what's good for me. How many people eat only that food? You're like, there's no hands. You need to see this. There are no hands. How many people know that you need to exercise like maybe 30 minutes a day, three times a week, and that's good for you, right? Okay, how many people exercise 30 minutes a day, three times? Oh, Oh, be honest. Be honest. Okay, one one person. Okay, that's good. Very small percentage relative to those of us who know it, though. And that's my point. I think that we need to find a bigger motivation for doing some of the things that we know are just doggone good for us. And I do that. My alarm clock goes off in the morning, and I've set it early so I can get up and go uh, spend some alone time with God. And, you know, in that moment, my object of worship becomes my pillow and my nice warm bed. That's why I want to stay. That's why I devote my time and energy. And so I need a bigger motivation. So I'm hoping we can find one of those today. Um, let's turn to an Old Testament scripture to see a picture of the life God wants us to have as we live that lifestyle of worship. I'm going to give you a little background because we're going to look at the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet whose job no one here wants, because his job was to warn people of the judgment that was coming for their disobedience and rebellion. So most of the book of Jeremiah was a collection of those types of messages. But in chapters 32 through 33, those chapters are often referred to as the book of consolation by some Old Testament scholars. In that, in those chapters is the promise of the restoration of God the promise to God's people of what will happen after that time of punishment and retribution for their disobedience. We know that as the time after Jesus uh, intervened. So let me read you just a part of Jeremiah 32, verse 38. Excuse me. They will be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one purpose to worship me forever. Did you ever ask what your purpose is for being on earth? With teenagers in my house, that's a big question. Oh, gosh, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Okay, here's one thing. Here's one purpose, to worship God forever. A good one. Okay, so if you can find that, if you have a Bible or Bible app, find Jeremiah 32, 38. We're going to read something together. Excuse me. Can I find it? The words should be on the screens at the front, too. Let's go on. They will be my people, and I will be their God. Can we read it together? Let's do that. Let's read it together. Ready? They will be my people, and I will be their God. And I will give them one heart and one purpose to worship me forever. For their own good and the good of their descendants, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good for them. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me, and they will never leave me. 
I will find joy in doing good for them and will faithfully and wholeheartedly replant them in this land. Now, that last phrase for me is a wonderful one and because I am a transplant. So I've been transplanted from one area into this area. So the fact that God wants to do good for me and is going to wholeheartedly replant me in this land is a great promise. But in there, we also find some other great motivations for living that lifestyle, for doing what it takes to get up and worship or spend time with God or just plain obey. And that's something that touches at least the heart of every parent. You know, the good of our descendants. It's good for my children if I do this. It's good for my grandchildren if I do this. So we also see a promise to each one of us that God's going to do this for our own good. In fact, he says he's going to never stop doing good for me. He'll never stop doing good for you either. Not because we worship him, but because that's just who God is. So in the remainder of that verse, there's one more motivation. I will put a desire in their heart to worship me, and the next phrase, and they will never leave me. We are all wired for worship, as Jeff showed us, for a reason. It's meant as a safeguard for our hearts to keep us close to himself. He puts a desire in our hearts to to worship him, to ensure that we will never leave him. And that is a great motivation to keep walking, to keep worshiping day after day after day, knowing that God's on our side. He'll never stop doing good for us. He enjoys, he takes joy in doing good for us. And worship will keep us close to him. Okay, let's look at a New Testament scripture where Jesus Jesus will reinforce the very sentiment. In John chapter 10, Jesus told the people a parable about the good shepherd and his sheep. In that parable, the thief climbed over the wall of the sheepfold, or the enclosure where the sheep are being kept. But the true shepherd, the good shepherd, entered through the gate. Not only that, but the sheep recognized the true shepherd's voice and came to him. And those who were listening to Jesus um, tell this parable, they didn't understand what it was he was trying to say. So like a really good teacher, he explained it again. He said that he himself, Jesus, is the good shepherd. And then like a good teacher, he gave a non-example or an example of what it is not. He contrasted himself with the thief in verse 10 by saying, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That sounded an awful lot like that verse in Jer- those verses in Jeremiah. A rich and satisfied life is a life that is filled with joy and peace and contentment and belonging. It's a full and satisfied life that's not dependent on the circumstances, on what's happening. So living a lifestyle of worship, I believe, is one of the primary ways God's made or designed for us to actualize the peace and the joy and the contentment he really wants us to have, that rich, satisfying life in John 10.10. And he backs that up with the passage from Jeremiah where he says, I will never stop doing good for them. I will find joy in doing good for them. So if life is a journey... Day after day after day, step by step by step, then a lifestyle of worship, taking your everyday ordinary life, placing it before God every day as a living sacrifice, is the way we sustain that daily step by step by step, that daily grind of a walk with him and do it joyfully. So let me share an illustration that I hope will help to anchor these ideas 
in your heart and mind. It'll help to tie together what we've been learning across the course of this series and build a bridge for us to act on. So when I was in high school, my dad bought his first sailboat. He bought that sailboat with coupons. He cut from the sides of cartons of cool cigarettes. Don't judge me. It was made from styrofoam. It had one mast and a green and white sail. Do I have any sailors here? Oh, good. But not everything I say you'll believe that I really know. No. Um, it, it did have one green and white sail, and he moved from that sailboat to a platform-style catamaran or a double-hulled boat. It had two hulls on the front. You know what hulls are. Um, and eventually he had... He worked himself up to a sailboat, which I believe a picture is on the screen there. That's his boat. That's Theophilus, or friend of God. It had a cabin. It had a small galley or a kitchen. It had a bathroom on it. It had sleeping space for about eight people. And when my children were little, we spent a lot of time sailing with my mom and dad on the eastern coast of Lake Michigan. And so my dad's not here, but I know he's going to listen to this later. So thank you, Dad. That was really fun. We appreciated it. We learned what a mainsail was. We learned where the stern and the bow of the boat were. We learned which way we'd be heading if we're going port or starboard. And especially on the smaller boats he owned, we learned that when the captain said, prepare to come about, that you needed to get out of the way of the boom, which is that bar that goes along the bottom of the sail, and it swings quickly across the surface of the boat, the deck of the boat, when you're preparing to come about and you need to get out of the way. Um, Been there, not done that. So a sailboat under sail is propelled by wind, and a sailor is constantly adjusting sails at angles to the wind in order to navigate that craft in the direction that he or she desires. So has anyone here ever been in a canoe? How many canoers do we have? Okay. It's also a craft for water travel. It has a bow and a stern, no master sail. And it's propelled forward by what? Rowing, oars, you have to use it. Mm -hmm. So what is something you should never do in a canoe? Stand up. (laughs) Stand up because it will tip over. All right, so what would happen if we installed a mast in the bottom of a canoe, hoisted a sail, and attempted to use the force of the wind to move the boat forward? Any guesses? Yeah, you would fall over. So why does this not happen in a sailboat? I think someone knows. When a craft is under sail, it's using the force of the wind to push it forward. And a sail is shaped a little bit like an airplane wing. Have you ever done that little thing when you're younger, or maybe you still do it, where you stick your hand out the window as you're traveling and the air, and, and it pulls your hand up? Sure. Okay. So mini physics lift lesson. That's, that's lift. And it comes from the, um, I should ask first, are we have any physics majors here? Okay, because I totally am not one. There's more distance across one side of your hand than the other. Wind's moving more slowly in one, and it's the same concept as an airplane wing. So you get lift. That's how that it helps the sailboat to move forward. Um, so if you want to go fast, what you need to do is steer closer to the direction that the wind is coming from. And the problem is when you do that, you get more and more sideways force on the sails, and it should be just blown over to its side. But it has something really important. The sailboat has a a very important but hidden feature on the bottom of the hull called a keel. 
And that is not a keel from a sailboat. You can see the propeller. We don't have those on sailboats. Um, it's mostly a flat or mostly flat piece attached to the hull that extends down into the water. It's often weighted with lead. Okay, so the keel and its weight or resistance in the water opposes the force pushing on the sails above. So wind's pushing this way, the keel's resisting the water at the bottom. And it keeps you upright, or that's the theory. And it also keeps you from moving sideways, which you don't want to do. You're trying to usually work, you move forward. So as that force of the wind increases, it's that keel that allows the force to help the boat move forward rather than sideways or tip over in the water. So the keel stabilizes the craft in smooth water, in rough water, in high winds. So let's try to make a little explicit um, connection with the journey of worship. And that's the big idea that I want to be, I have been challenged by, I want you to be challenged by today too. In the illustration, a lifestyle of worship that we talk about that eating Sleeping, going to work every day, life functions like a keel does in a in a sailboat as we submit that life to God. So laying down that ordinary eating, going to work life in worship stabilizes you like the keel does in a boat. And when difficult com- things come, and they will, it's your life of worship that can allow you to experience that rich, satisfying life. Because worship takes you to a greater awareness of and communion with God. It allows you to or enables you to experience him. And it helps all the force that comes against you to move you forward, so to speak, and to do you good. Whether it's high seas or whether it's doldrums, which is no wind at all when the sail's just flapping in the breeze or in the lack of breeze, you can be stabilized because you know and you experience God and that rich, satisfying life. For me, I mean, and this can apply to all of us because we're all experiencing life, right? Everyone's alive. Okay, good. Thank you for responding. (laughs) This can apply to all of us. Some of us are dealing with high seas and rough winds. And for me, some of those rough winds have been, you know, they're kind of on my parent heart. I've been buffeted. Um, My son is battling a major difficult relationship. And I have a daughter who I just sent for an extended time to be on the mission field in a foreign country. Um, I have a college daughter who's in college for away from home for the very first semester, and she's struggling with that. I have a daughter who finally found a really great friend, and they're moving. And so it's just been a really rough time. And you may not be struggling with that, but I bet you're struggling with something. You might be struggling with caring for aging parents or all those difficult decisions. You might be struggling with relationships that are difficult, um, a difficult relationship with a spouse or betrayal of a friend or some irritating, self-promoting boss at work. Um, you might be struggling with depression or loneliness or the loss of a job or a friend, or family member. Some of us are celebrating life. We have new jobs. We have promotions. We got a good report from the physician. Our parents are strong and healthy. We're enjoying the fresh start of newly weddedness or a promising relationship with a potential spouse or a long-term friendship. In either type of weather, our boat, our lives can sail on because God calls us to a walk of worship where he wants us to experience him and his doing good for us. And 
And so we will, as we read in Jeremiah 32, never leave him through the roughness or the windiness. We will sail on close to God. And that's pretty much where I ended this neat little tidy illustration last Sunday. But in worship last week, I saw another aspect to choosing the life of worship and the keel illustration. And as God would have it, um, he asked me to do something about that. Not why. Um, we've talked about the stabilizing force of the keel, but let's think again about the example of the boat under sail. In our sailing lesson, we saw that the closer that you tack or turn into the wind, the more narrow that angle is. And that's why steering the boat's constant work. If you're racing a boat, you've got your hand on the tiller and you're always adjusting, so you keep those sails full of wind. Um, so it could be said that how fast you can go or how efficiently you fly through those waters is, re- is dependent in, in some real way on the strength and weight of that keel. Because if you want to go fast, you're going to have to have a lot in the water. So you might want to invest some time and attention if you're building a boat into improving your keel. Because the weight and the depth of that, the amount of presence of God in your life and my life just might be connected to how smoothly your boat's going to sail through those rough waters. So last week, I felt like God was challenging me to take that seriously and to make a change. And for me, that meant investing more of myself, my time and energy into a life of worship. So as is the practice of many Christians, I have a daily quiet time. Um, I won't ask you to raise your hands on that one. Some people do and some people don't, and that's okay. Um, we're all trying to grow from where we are to where we want to be. And um, I have over time developed the habit of reading my Bible, the one-year Bible specifically. Anybody read the one-year Bible? That's good. Um, on an almost daily basis, not not every day, but maybe about 85%. And, and that's good. The problem comes from within me because I'm a thinker. And I like to ponder the deep truths. I like to learn new stuff. And I feel that sometimes I even frustrate people because I'm awful at, often asking like a five-year-old, why? Why do we do it this way? You know, why do we do it at all? What can we do to make it better? And in my job, I do a lot of research and read um, scientific articles. And then I, my job is to kind of translate that into what are hopefully useful strategies to improve teaching and learning through coaching. And so I have to ask why over and over again, but that's not a very good way to approach your quiet time. And I was beginning to treat my time alone at God in much the same way. I was reading my scripture from an academic standpoint, asking questions and drawing conclusions and pondering why. And I was not really meeting God face to face. I was making worship a dry academic Routine and not the life-giving experience, the keel that God had designed for it to be in my life. So it'd be kind of like going out with your wife or your husband, and after he says, after Jim says, this is a great place to eat, romantic restaurant, and I'd say, yes, but if they just raise the temperature five degrees and put a real candle on the table, it might be better. That's real enhancing your relationship in it. <laughs> in fact, yesterday, I actually suggested to Jim that we keep track of the number of people we've invited to our small group and then the number of people who actually come so we have a ratio of requests to... Yeah. So, and by the way, our small group is going to meet for the very first time on September 15th at 4 o'clock. <laughs> 22169 Spring Creek Road, Washington, Illinois. And you're all invited. <laughs> okay, kind of like 
Jim would say, I love you. And I would say, that's a fascinating possibility. Let me think about that. And that's exaggeration, of course, but I kind of found myself in that place with worship. It was more academic, more theoretical. It's more safe that way. And last week I felt like God was showing me that I could go closer to that and I could sail smoother and faster through the waves of my particular rough seas by sticking even closer to him. And I needed to develop worship in my life, my keel. So what I chose to change was each day as I sat down to read, I included a time of worship, not just reading, not just prayer, not just my dear God, would you please do these things list. I included some worship time. Now, it wasn't 30 minutes of me and a piano because I don't play and it wouldn't be good for anybody. But I did choose a time and a place and a way to include what Jeff talked to us about last week, simple worship. So simple, intimate, ministering to God, participatory, life-changing, and expressive. I left out the excellent because it just like wasn't excellent. But for me... It was Spotify, and the playlist that I chose was Discover Worship Volume 2. So in a moment, I'm going to give you the opportunity to join me in continuing this challenge throughout the month of September, and I'm going to ask you to choose a when, a where, and a what to develop your keel. But this is what my first day looked like. So I started the playlist, and I listened to the worship song, Dwell, and I'm keeping a log or a journal of what goes on. And I I listened to the song and it was beautiful and the words were great, but I spent all of my time thinking about, now how can I get that song to fit into the sermon on Sunday? Which is not very good. I mean, that's so much for sailing closer to the wind. <laughs> so I readjusted and um, got set and then it was followed by, since I don't have Spotify premium, um, Mr. Peanut commercial, which was slightly distracting. <laughs> but we moved on. I, I chose the song What can I bring to listen to next? And let me just read you the words of the bridge to that song. And I believe we're going to sing it today. Had I riches, I would bring them. Had I kingdoms, I would lose them. Had I the world, too small a gift it would be for you. And the song took me somewhere. And the presence of God was there in that little short worship time in my library on my couch. And I felt the presence of God. And I cried, as I'm kind of doing now. But I'm a crier, and you might not do that, and that's just fine. But we do want to set up a platform for encountering the presence of God, developing that keel, that relationship that will keep us close to him. So on the second day, I woke up singing that same song that I had in worship. That, And that was kind of a new and wonderful experience to wake up instead of feeling like, oh, my gosh, what have I not done? I'm singing a worship song. And again, that presence of God this second day. Now, I'm not naive enough to believe that every morning that I do this, that I will first of all, A, do it every morning, and second of all, that it will be like this, that I'll have that feeling of God's presence. But I do expect that a greater sense of peace and joy of the kingdom is going to grow in my life as I'm faithful to do that. And I have great motivation to do that because I want to live that good life. I want to experience God doing good for me. Um, we all have a lifetime of dailiness to walk through, and we do get highs and we get some lows, but it's in that daily peace, that dailiness, walk step after step that we struggle. So this is my challenge to me and to you. If you want to sail closer to the wind, work on placing more weight into your keel. Spend time developing your relationship with Jesus through the word and through worship. 
And here's the bridge between what we know and what we want to do. Now, research on teaching and learning tells us that we're more likely to act on something if we make a plan to do it within the next three days. Okay, so you have in your program a little piece of paper that looks like this. And I'm going to ask you to be brave and bold and choose a when, a where, and a what. So if you can find this, if you don't have one, they've got some extras and um, our friends at the back table will be glad to run some out to you if you need them. So what I want you to do, I'm going to challenge you to do is choose a when. If you're a morning person, choose a morning. If you're a night owl, choose night. If you have already established a 30 minute a day or so, Time with God, up the ante a little bit. If you've never done it before, let me encourage you. Let's do a baby step. Do something that feels doable to you. Amount of time, that could be five minutes to start. That's fine. Then choose a where. Some location that's conducive to time alone, especially like if you have the time type of a voice or if you like to choose the rowdy music like Jeff likes to choose that people don't necessarily want to wake up to first thing in the morning. And then lastly, think about a what. What will you do? Will you listen to Spotify like I did? Do you have a music CD or iPod? Are you going to read a psalm? Um, do you write? Do you like to write your verse or um, play your own instrument? Do you sing? Anything that will be a platform for you to express worship to God. So make some choices and write down what you're going to do. And then I want you to join me for the month of September in developing a life of worship or your keel, as it were, and sailing a little closer to the wind. I'm going to try to create a topic on um, the city, which you can access through the city if you're a member or or part of the city. Um, You can also access it through the the Vermilion. I'm going back to my roots. The Peoria Vineyard website, there's a link to the city. And I'm going to try to start a topic so we can kind of chat about what's going on and how it's working or not working and and kind of encourage ourselves together. So that's what I want you to do. That's your challenge if you choose to join me. I'm going to close in prayer at this time. I'm going to read a psalm first. Psalm 89, 15 to 17. Happy are those who hear the joyful call to worship. For they will walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice all day long in your wonderful reputation. You are their glorious strength. It pleases you to make us strong. Father, we thank you this morning for speaking to our hearts. We thank you for the challenge to change and become more like you. We truly do lay our lives down to you afresh this morning and say, God, We sacrifice, we offer it up to you. Please do with it what you choose to do. I just pray over the offering and ask, Lord, that you will bless every person who gives this morning, even those who want to but can't give this morning. In your name, amen.